This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io. P-R-Y-M-L Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. This is the first episode of a series about one programming language that uh, is uh, really attracting me so much in the last few months. And uh, it's a language that I've been studying for the last uh, eight months, probably a bit more. And uh, I believe that it's going to play a role in the uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence space, at least when it comes to uh, production environments and uh, high-performance computing. The uh, language is Rust, but before speaking about the details and some of the benefits or characteristics of such a language, let me tell you more about my personal story. When I was a PhD researcher uh, at the University of Leuven, I was uh, involved in a project to detect and uh, correct potential bugs in uh, low-level languages. And so let me give you a brief overview of what that topic is about. Then we have had, of course, the explosion of uh, programming languages like Python that has become the de facto standard in machine learning and artificial intelligence applications for several reasons that I will try to squeeze in this episode, which is just an introduction, of course, to the language and to the paradigm of, uh, of programming from low level to high level. So what it means low level? Low level means that the developer is writing code that is very close to the machine code, right? And so what you write is usually what gets executed almost without any translation by the machine, by the CPU. And of course, the lowest level is assembly uh, and uh, of course, machine code. Uh, and as you move at a higher level, it means that you are programming with uh, many more levels of abstraction that will make it much more comfortable for a developer to write code. But at the same time, you know, that the developer is paying the price of uh, reducing perf- performance or having much less flexibility when it comes to, for example, memory management or the usage of all the possible registers of that particular architecture, which is the CPU that you are, uh, in fact, uh, running your operating system on. And so that can be Intel, AMD, or whatever flavor of uh, ARM architecture, and so on and so forth. So what are the benefits of uh, a low-level programming language? Well, as I said, probably performance is the, the best benefit of all, efficiency, but at the same time, it's very hard to code. And of course, not all applications are supposed to be written in a low-level language. If you think about machine learning and artificial intelligence-related algorithms, you definitely do not want to do these things with the low-level programming language because that's going to be extremely time-consuming, very complex, 
and uh, and you just don't need to be that detailed uh, in in the way you program your machine for specific tasks. But in contrast, if you are, for example, programming an embedded device, well, you probably want to go as low level as possible because with that low level programming language, in fact, you can squeeze that hardware uh, to your needs and, of course, exploit all the features that that particular architecture is offering you. What are the drawbacks, of course, of low-level programming? Well, probably you can understand it's very hard to code. You know, every application that is written in a low-level programming language, whenever, of course, it makes sense to use a low-level programming language, it's always harder than uh, a high-level programming language because, you know, you are between you and the machine, there's probably nothing in between. <laughs> and so another drawback is definitely... Uh, being very time-consuming and also prone to very bad errors that might uh, happen because you have direct access or almost always direct access to the uh, to the hardware and uh, you have to manage the memory, you have to manage the registers yourself. And uh, as you can understand, when you leave all these responsibilities to the programmer, there is a plethora of bugs and very bad errors that can happen because of mistakes. Historically, probably the most used language so far and uh, the most low-level of all is the C programming language, though there are other languages, for example, assembly that indeed is specific to the particular architecture that is even lower level than C. But C offers a good you know, level of abstraction and at the same time gives the programmer a lot of flexibility and also a lot of responsibilities when it comes to memory management, operating system, multiprocessing, race conditions, threads, and all that stuff. You need to know exactly what you're doing and you need to be a very, very good C programmer when you write something in C because, you know, otherwise you expose yourself and your application to very nasty bugs that have made history in the field of computer science and software security. Many of the bugs that we know today and many of the attacks that have been uh, performed in, uh, in, in the last probably 20 or 30 years are almost always caused by mistakes and bugs in a software that was written in a low-level language. Which is why when it comes to uh, more complex applications for which you probably do not want researchers, practitioners or developers to, to know the nitty gritty of architectures, to know about operating system, but you just want to you know, let them focus on their particular business, which is, for example, writing an algorithm that manipulates data and uh, collects data and cleans and stuff like that. So. At that point, you want developers to be familiar with the language and that language should abstract all that complexity away from the programmer himself. Which is why, in fact, Python has become the de facto standard for data science, because data scientists, I'm not saying they can't code, but are not supposed to know the nitty-gritty of architectures, and of course they have to focus more on uh, the algorithms that are developing a particular functionality or a particular AI or machine learning application. And I must say that Python did, in fact, a great job at uh, filling that gap there, right? 
which is why a lot of people who probably never had to manage memory in their life, they could still write Python applications that worked and uh, they worked bug free. So what is Rust and uh, why is Rust interesting in my opinion is uh, because Rust is a language that in fact has fixed all this. And so Rust is a programming language that has been developed by Mozilla and uh, it uh, in fact a part of the web browser has been rewritten in, in Rust but that's another story. Uh, and uh, what are the features of Rust? Well, it's uh, an amazing language because it introduces a new way of uh, programming and also new concepts that make it impossible to have the same bugs that a low-level programmer usually is scared from. And so if you think about dangling pointers, data races or buffer overflows, for example, just to name a few, these types of errors, which were the nasty error that errors that you might encounter whenever you dealt with, uh, with C or with low-level languages, cannot simply exist. And why is that? Is because the compiler will throw errors whenever these conditions are likely to occur from a syntactical perspective. So let me explain this. When you write some uh, code, if for example in C or in Rust or in any other compiled language, your code is compiled, which means that there is a compiler that transforms your code into machine code it optimizes that code and makes that code available for that particular architecture in the most optimized way. In contrast, Python does not compile anything, right? Python simply interprets your code, which means that you are running your code on, on top of an interpreter, which is another layer between you and the actual hardware, the CPU or the memory of your computer. Right? And so this is what, you know, this is the major difference between an interpreted language and a compiled language. Now, since there is something else in between you and the CPU, of course, you know, you're going to pay the price of uh, performance and flexibility and efficiency because there is this layer that will do the dirty job for you. And so this doesn't happen with C because you have direct access to the hardware. In Rust, we have exactly the same situation in which you write code that needs to be compiled, which means that it will be translated by the Rust compiler into a machine code that is specific to the architecture you are on. So I'm currently on an Intel CPU, for example. And so when I write Rust code, I compile it and that code is transformed into machine code for this Intel CPU. And I'm sure that the compiler is generating the most optimized possible code for this specific architecture. If I want to run my code, for example, on a different architecture, uh, for example, on an ARM or another architecture, of course, supported by the compiler, my same code will be recompiled for a different architecture. And then the program will keep working on a different um, hardware and probably also in a different operating system. Why is Rust interesting? It's because it takes the best of both worlds, which is it's a low-level language that gives you that flexibility and that performance that you need. And at the same time, it prevents you from running into the nasty problems and errors that we have seen that are typical of low-level languages.
which is dangling pointers, or data races, or buffer overflows, or concurrency. How many times we have read that uh, that particular uh, application is not thread safe, or it's just very difficult to to parallelize. Um, it's in, it's difficult to rethink concept in uh, a multi-processing or a multi-threading scenario, and so on. So. Rust allows you to enjoy all these flexibilities and performance and at the same time protects your code and your ideas of uh, programming something and it keeps all these things away from the nasty problems that we know. How does Rust do it? Well, by changing the way people code and by introducing these new concepts like, for example, ownership or lifetime, the Rust compiler can detect at compile time, potential errors and potential bugs. For example, dangling pointers, by definition, cannot exist. Dangling pointers are those pointers that are pointing to an invalid memory location. When you have to manage memory yourself, what would you do in a low-level language is allocating, for example, some, some space on memory, and then do your, do your task, and then you have to remember to, for example, free that chunk of memory and put it back in, a, in, a, in, a, in the pool of available memory so that the rest of the application or other applications can you know, use the memory that is not an infinite resource, right? If you are in a traditional low-level language and you forget about freeing something, you are probably leaking or you are wasting memory. Or if you double free that pointer, so double free that particular memory location, uh, you are creating a double free bug. Or if you free that memory location and you still point to, to that memory location and you keep reusing that pointer, well, that pointer now is pointing to an invalid memory location because you have freed it before. So you see, these are the, the problems that are typical of low-level languages and simply cannot happen with Rust. A buffer overflow is another typical bug that we have seen happening a million times in the past due to the fact that, for example, you are overflowing the stack, which means that you are trying to store, for example, a variable uh, that or a vector beyond the limits or beyond the size of that particular vector. And so what happens is that the uh, CPU uh, will keep writing beyond the limit of the of the vector, which means that it will go and overwrite the the consecutive memory cells, and this means that you start corrupting things. Now, if you corrupt things in the proper way, uh, you might have very nasty things like uh, you know po potentially reading secret encryption keys or passwords that are located somewhere in memory, and uh, you might just be breaking things. This is exactly what hackers have been doing for decades, exploiting these types of bugs to take advantage of um, whatever protection was enforced by the operating system or by the application itself. And pretty successful, I must say. I think that one of the most interesting capabilities of Rust and uh, you know where Rust really makes things easy is uh, whenever we deal with uh, concurrency. Concurrency is uh, the way to think about your application in a way that uh, certain parts of your code can be run in parallel. 
When you speak about concurrency, you usually speak about multi-threaded applications or multi-processing applications, which is not exactly the same thing. But in fact, what you are doing is uh, trying to uh, you know, run code in uh, a much faster way because many things can be can run in parallel. And of course, not all things can be run in parallel because if you, for example, are in front of uh, a, a number of threads that needs to read from a particular memory location, process that chunk of data independently and in parallel, and then write something back somewhere else, that's perfectly fine. The problem is when you have, for example, different threads that are reading and writing in the to the same memory location. Well, in that case, you have a concurrent application that is not so easy and not so immediate to design and to, uh, and to code because you will fall into the trap of uh, putting the memory into an inconsistent state. Why? It's because randomly the first available thread will be executed will read and write to a memory location that can be read by another thread at a different time and what happens is that all the threads that are supposed to read the same content from that memory in fact are not are no longer doing that because there is just one or more threads that are writing to the same location and they would overwrite things and so you would put in, in fact the entire application into a, a very inconsistent state that's why, you know, when you when you have an application, rethinking that application to make it concurrent is not an easy task. It has to be designed appropriately. And Rust, again, offers very powerful tools, for example, mutexes or uh, mutual exclusive flags that are easy to develop and are also controlled at compile time, which means that if there is a bug, it will be detected as your code gets translated into machine code and not at runtime. We say your errors will be detected at compile time for a reason. It's much better, of course, to detect these errors at compile time because, you know, that means that in production, once you compile that application and you run into a production environment, that application will never crash or definitely that particular error will never occur because it was detected and eventually fixed at compile time. So these are the characteristics of Rust. Of course, this episode doesn't want to provide you an exhaustive list of uh, uh, all the benefits of, uh, of Rust and all the, the nasty things that can happen with a low-level programming language, but it's definitely a good start, in my opinion, to getting more and more educated about this new language that now is uh, a bit more than eight years old, still very young, still a lot to do from a you know compiler optimization perspective and much more supported architectures etc etc but i think it's a good moment to learn uh, about this new language and uh, the connection to the ai and machine learning world comes from the fact that several production systems and APIs and uh, backend systems that uh, are currently used to serve, for example, machine learning models in production or loading and storing machine learning models and then serve these things as a service. These are, you know, this is the typical scenario where a programming language like Rust would definitely excel. Rust is also amazing at text processing and other forms of data wrangling. 
There are several libraries that the community is uh, has started to produce in the last years. And I will, of course, report some of these in the show notes of this episode. Data processing engines, log parsing systems have also been implemented with Rust and they are just great. The Rust language type system and the memory control provide the developer with the ability to create high throughput data pipelines with low and stable memory footprint, which is exactly what you want in a production environment. Small filter programs can also be easily embedded into a larger framework like Apache Storm or Kafka or Hadoop streaming and so on. So I think that Rust is really a great language. One drawback is probably its syntax. It's not that easy, to be very honest with you. If you come from Python, you're going to spend a bit of time before you get familiar with this new programming language and its syntax. It's sometimes a bit cryptic and uh, um, you will start asking yourself why the heck language designers thought about this construct in this way. That would take probably a, a few weeks as long as you explore the language. It's great fun when you start seeing your end result and how memory efficient your programs are, you will definitely become very, very excited. At least this is what happened to myself. That's it for this episode. In the next one, and actually in the next two episodes, we are going to have two amazing developers who are writing amazing stuff in Rust, and uh, they also come from the machine learning community. As always, don't forget to surf datasciencesathome.com and check the references and the show notes of this episode. Also, we have a Slack channel. It would be great to have you there, have a chat, comment the previous episodes, or just propose new ones. I mean, there's always something that you would like to be discussed or you would like to listen to Data Science at Home podcast. Stay tuned and start learning Rust. Talk to you next time. This episode is supported by Primal Technologies. Primal offers secure and cost-effective data privacy solutions for your organization. It generates a synthetic alternative without disclosing your confidential data. Check it out at primal.io. P-R-Y-M-L dot I-O. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.